Hey gang, it's Mark here. And before we begin today's episode, I had a special announcement I want to share with you. But for this particular special announcement, strong language is contained. So you may want to make sure you put some headphones on or pause this until no children are around. I'm going to trust that you've done what you needed. Um, My friend Sarah Knight, who you may recognize from her best-selling books that have been all over the world, but also from episode number 27 on the Unconventions podcast, She's got a brand new podcast and I'm super excited to share with you. It's called the No Fucks Given Podcast with Sarah Knight. She's the best-selling anti-guru and it's giving hilarious life-changing advice. And It's every Tuesday in 2021. It's already out and she sent me an exclusive little clip that you're going to be able to listen to at the end of this episode. So make sure to stick around right at the end when I'm going to share you a juicy morsel of a brand new podcast. I love supporting people doing great things. So I hope you'll go and check out Sarah's podcast. But until then, enjoy today's special episode. Hi, and welcome to the Unconventionalist Podcast. I'm your host, Mark LaRoost, and this is the show about what it's really like to turn your message into movement. In each episode, I sit with an inspiring guest to ask them about their journey to living a more meaningful and purposeful life, about the ups and the downs and the lessons learned from both. Now, before I get into today's special episode, I wanted to make an announcement, and that is... Um, that if you've been following the journey, if you've been looking at the videos and listening to me over the last few weeks, since December, I've been talking about having been nominated as a finalist for Best Interview Podcast at the Podcasting for Business Awards 2021. Um, I've done something which I've never done before, which is I said publicly that I really wanted to win this and that I wanted to own that I wanted to win this and believed not only did I deserve it, but that the body of work of the unconventionalist could speak volumes in terms of guests and how they open up. And interview style podcast is my favorite style of podcast, and it's the podcast I take most pride in. Um, but I've also been conscious and wary that competition is fierce and and that I might not win. And this week we had the Podcasting for Business Awards 2021 ceremony that took place on the 26th of um, January 2021. And I am incredibly honored and delighted to let you know that the Unconventionalist podcast has won Best Interview Podcast um, of the Year. So that's that's totally surreal. Uh, but I'm really glad that I get to say this now, especially before today's guest, because today's guest was one of the first people to congratulate me on LinkedIn when they saw um, that I posted that. And, and you know, special thank you to the entire team from way back when, when Steph Slack and Bed Bradbury got on board and, and helped me out all the way through the iterations with Joe Bradshaw, uh, Riley McGee, and of course, Andrew Miller, who's been editing all these videos of the past few seasons. So it has been a team effort in that sense, and, and I'm incredibly grateful, but also grateful for all the guests who've trusted me with their time over the years and who uh, shared openly their stories and just uh, took off the curtain and opened up the bonnet and everyone got to see who they really were. So really appreciate that. But of course, thank you. Thank you for the viewers. Thank you for the listeners for making this show so special. I'll continue to show up and serve. But I just wanted to share this news with you. Um, I've made a, a little video. I don't know if I would have, I don't know if it's released by now, by the point you see this video, but it'll, it'll be up shortly where I kind of feel my reaction <laughs> and hopefully that will be fun to watch. But Anyway, just want to say a big heartfelt thank you, which leads me to uh, transition to introducing today's guest. Um, today's guest is a special guest for me. It's one of these rare 
gems that I come across online who doesn't necessarily have a prolific profile where I haven't seen this guest being interviewed on any other big shows or having a ton of information available online to find out. But I'll tell you what, when my client and friend Robbie Thompson reached out and shared with me the website of bonfirewithsoul.com and I saw Duke Stump's uh, words in the video and what he was standing for and this belief that the world doesn't need another business school, but what it needs is a new school of thought that he wants to make Harvard Business School obsolete by not leading by a playbook, but by leading with principles. How does philosophy blend in the world of business? And how can we ask ourselves better and bigger questions around what it means uh, to be human effectively at work, right? Um, And he's a beautiful soul. He's done some incredible things. Forbes have named him one of the most 50 most important CMOs in the world. He's passionate about building emotionally charged, iconic brands. He's got decades of experience and he's worked for the likes of Nike, uh, Seven Generations and Lululemon. In fact, you'll hear the incredible story of how he was part of the team that resuscitated Lululemon uh, as a brand when they were going to be the number one brand who would not exist the following year, according to the Wall Street Journal. Uh, so it's, it's a beautiful story, beautiful adventure, and I'm really grateful for Duke's input. If you enjoyed today's conversation in any kind of way, please let me know by leaving a review and a comment below and make sure to subscribe to this uh, show, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or, or here on YouTube. Uh, as always, when I hear people share this episode with other people who need to hear it, that's where my heart opens. And I so appreciate it because that's how we're going to spread the word. That's how we're going to make a bigger impact in the world. No impact's an island, so I need your help. So thanks for that. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I've got no more words except to say I introduce you the powerful, the one and only Duke Stump. Duke, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so am I right in saying that you're in California right now? Like I saw in one of your bios that uh, on the website, Bonfire of Soul, that you're living with your family in, in, in California? Yeah. So we live about 10 years ago. Um, we made our second um, trip back to California. And so we live in a small town called Ojai, okay. which is about an hour and a half north of LA. It's it's a small little town, about 8,000 people filled with uh, orange groves and horses. And it's a very spiritual town. Yeah. Um, and it's just about 10 miles off the coast. So, yeah, we we have the, the luxury, although sometimes with fires, not so good yeah. uh, in California. Yeah, I get that. And and look, I, you know, I want to say, and I said this offline, you know, big heartfelt thank you for, for coming and, and joining. Actually, I'm curious what? What made you say yes to come on the show? Like I'm always a little bit curious as to everyone's different journey. Like what, what made you say yes? <laughs> That's like the proverbial question people ask me on everything I do. Like what made you say yes to that? Um, I, for me, it was one, I always think of just there's an energy I look at. And I think mm. the way you reached out was really beautiful. So I was like, oh, okay, this is, it didn't feel mechanical or rote in any way. It felt mm. uh, genuine. And truthfully, I love the unknown. Yeah. So for me, I was like, wow, okay, like this feels. Yeah. Cool. The right thing to do. So it was easy. Yeah. Yeah. And and to to build on that, uh, I heard you say that, you know, as, as, as a kind of a species, we really don't like the unknown. Like it's, we're Mm -hmm. kind of built to uh, fear the unknown, but am I right to say that you're hardwired differently? And like there's something about the unknown that you kind of go, yes, please. 
I've, I probably piss a lot of people off, honestly, because I what feels very natural to me is yeah. this is the unknown. I mean, I left a career and a beautiful career at Nike because after almost 16 years, because I could just see the next 16 years and that was bumming me out. I was like, yeah. I want, you know, I think lost is the art of serendipity in life. Yeah. You know, we all want these, we want this like, Hey, this is the way life should go. And the reality is there's not really much we can control. Right. <laughs> Especially now, right? Like what's happening in the world. Right. You know, think about all the people who did the right things. They created a small business or a mm. restaurant and worked their asses off. And, mm. you know, who could have ever anticipated a global pandemic? I know. You know, I don't I know. Well, maybe some people could have, but um, well, I just think it's mm. that level of the unknown is something as the human condition. We, we don't, we loathe it, but I actually really revel in it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, I, you know, from the little information I could gather online in terms of podcasts, and I kind of managed to go on the website of Bonfire of Soul and I asked a friend who was on the course if he could give me any juicy details that he learned on, on the course that could be helpful. But uh, but one of the things, and, and actually just for people listening uh, or watching, is um, you came across because a, a client turned friend of mine sent me this and says, look at this, I think you're going to love this. And I go on the website, Bonfire of Soul, my immediate reactive response is, oh my God, I wish I'd came up with that concept. It's amazing. <laughs> it just looks so cool. And then I looked at the videos mm. and, I, and, I, and I'm really curious to hear, were you surprised by the impact and the response that you got from the video that you released around, I want to make Harvard Business School obsolete? Let me tell you why. Yeah, that was, I mean, it's true of anything. I think that, um, maybe it be, is resonant or high engagement is I think you can't force or even predict that you just, I created, I have this principle, don't create magic, create the conditions for magic to happen. Yeah. And so Pete, my filmmaker buddy and I was like, Hey, I don't want to do this like sappy thing. Like this is me. And I really love, I don't know if you're familiar with Pechacuchas, but Pechacucha is a Japanese way of storytelling where it's, generally three minutes and it's just a Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Like a really quick, like snap like this, boom, boom, boom. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a great, I love you using it with my teams where I think like, it's like, hey, tell us about how you got to this point today. And mm. people share the most amazing things, but it's nice because it's not this long drawn out, you know, saga. And so, and also in the spirit of Dare to Suck, I was like, all right, let's just take some chances. And Pete was like, all right, let's do it this way. I was like, that sounds good. And so I didn't know yeah. what it would, where it would go other than I also just, to me, it felt right. And that was really, that was all I needed. I was like, okay, this feels right. And some people love it and some people hate it, but that's cool. Yeah. Because we, and we'll, and we'll get in the bonfire of souls because there's, there's something fascinating that I thought, um, about your journey as I was kind of listening, because I, I I listened to a couple of podcasts that you interviewed on, and um, and it seemed like there's this kind of uh, openness to to what if and what could be throughout your career, and you know, and you landed this because because for those those who don't know your background, you can go and check it out. Um, you ended up going to university in Vermont, where uh, Bernie Sanders used to be. Yeah. Um, in government at the time, is that right? So it's kind of like this. He was the he was the um, the mayor. The mayor. That... They say he was a socialist, but I'd like to say, like in the Swedish terms, he was a, a democratic socialist or social yeah. democrat. Sorry, yeah. Um, but yeah, he was the mayor of right. Because your mom, your mom's Swedish, right? Is that did I did I get right. that right? Yeah. Yeah. My my, my grandparents came over from Sweden. Yeah. So I, and do you speak? Yeah. Do you speak Swedish? Yeah. 
Jag kan prata lite svenska med. <laughs> I can also like tax for Martin. That's it. That's about. That's, 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 <laughs> sure, that's a good one. It's good. <laughs> and what I love about so just I don't know why we go on this, but what I love about the Swedish language is that you can tell by the name of the grandmother who cited like murmur, murfar, far, 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 mur. Okay. Yes. That's brilliant. It's like I know it's your mom's mom or your mom's dad without having to go into that. But anyway, that's, yes, that's, yes, I yeah. Know. In fact, my mom is uh, my father passed away a little over ten years ago. But my so my my mom is more more. Ah, sorry, far more. My father's mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. so, and you go to this university, and you're going to business. You're teaching all this stuff about like here's what you should be doing in business. Meanwhile, you've got Ben and Jerry's down the road, kind of disrupting and pioneering different ways of you know values and bottom line, triple bottom line. And you get an option to go either to work at stock exchange in New York or go to play hockey in Sweden. <laughs> Which, by the way, when like is, was that like a common thing in your hometown? Like uh, being a European, completely ignorant. A lot of people play hockey where, where you grew up? Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Chicago in the Midwest and then grew up in New England. And um, although it feels like I spent half my life in Canada playing in tournaments, yeah. things, but yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty common. And um, it was a game I loved, obviously. So yeah, it was, uh, it was like, wow, I could wear a coat and tie every day in Manhattan or <laughs> I could just keep playing. This would be fun. I mean, I'm going to make no money, but who cares? <laughs> and you go off to Sweden, but you'd been obviously, I guess if your family had been from there, I guess you knew a little bit of Sweden. You'd been there before. Cool. But that must have been a big transition. I, I make up going from living in the States, tournaments in Canada, suddenly living and being a professional hockey player in, in Sweden. Yeah, but that's once again the whole adventure and the unknowing of it. I remember flying into Arlanda and I'm like, I have no idea what to expect. Like, I have zero, you know, it was, this is well before the day of the internet. So yeah. you're, you, know, you, you can't Google what the town is like or what, yeah. what's going on. It's like, okay, this sounds right. I've yeah. never met any of these people. This will be great. And, um, You know, the hockey was really interesting. It was great. But I think what I valued almost more than that was when I got there, I had an amazing coach, a trainer mm -hmm. who just had such an impact on me in the game. But also the first week I was there, he's like, hey, I'll speak to you in English through December. And then I'm not speaking English anymore. I'm only Swedish. So you got to figure it out. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go to school every day for three hours. And so... <laughs> But it was amazing because I think a lot of times when you go to another country, you can be a surface traveler and not mm. really dive into the culture. And it forced me, I think, to go much deeper into deeper layers of understanding through, from a sense of empathy, Sweden, yeah. the language. And, yeah. and it made my experience much more uh, richer because I yeah. was like, okay, I can go to the store and have a conversation. I mean, I'm freaked out by it all the time, but I, I can do that. <laughs> And and this ability of yours to kind of seek the unknown and thrive into like these adventures was that ingrained like from a young age? Were you were you already like that as a kid, kind of growing up, or did you kind of develop that at some point? I think a lot as my parents, you know, I think they're always they always used to say like the two worst words you can tell yourself are if only, and um, mm. and so I. I think we always, we did a lot of little crazy things and they were always doing interesting things. And um, so a lot of that I actually attributed to my, my parents. And it, what I loved is I think they always just lived in possibility, you know, yeah. and that didn't mean by the way, things didn't get rough. Like, sure. you know, it would, like I think sometimes people think, Oh, I'm just going to take this leap and it's going to be beautiful with green grassy meadows. And then you're like, 
Holy that snack, was tough. What, what just happened? Um, yeah. No, no. But, yeah. but the pain of any, any headwinds was far less than the pain of saying, well, gosh, if I'd only done that. So, Because yeah. one of the things is, and I really recommend people to go and check out, I'll put them in the links, like just to hear a bit more of your background story. But it's, it's, it's how, and this one of the things I'm really curious to talk about with you today is how you fell in love with exploring what it means to be human in business. Yeah. Because if you had to go back in time and sort of pinpoint the moment when you started getting curious about that specific topic, where would you go back? What would be that moment? Well, you touched on it at the beginning. Um, you know, when I was in school, I'm an economics major and I am struggling through classes, like really struggling. In fact, I, all I really wanted to take was philosophy classes. Mm -hmm. And, um, but down the street in Ben and Jerry's, I think, I think they were, uh, launched in like 70, late 70, 78. Mm -hmm. I'm in college and university and they're down the street and it's 1984. And I'm watching them operate and it looks fun. You know, anytime you met someone from Ben and Jerry's, it was like, God, these people actually just seem really like they're finding a lot of contentment and joy from this adventure versus, you know, I juxtapose that in a business class and what we're learning. I'm like, I can't do this like this is. <laughs> so I think it was the Ben and Jerry's piece. Yeah. And then that planted the seed of like, there's some, there's a way of doing things differently than, than what I'm seeing or sensing or being taught. Yeah. Like even, you know, in the title podcast, I think the unconventional to me felt very conventional, meaning mm. why would you not want to make sure that people are really flourishing and happy and you, you know, and they can, like I'm obsessed with right now, like what does it mean to show up as your effortless self at yeah. work? Like yeah. there's not every a nine to five persona, there's like your everyday persona. And how can cultures actually foster that? Not force you to become something different, but really embrace the fact like, hey, this is who I am. So yeah. yeah I, um, and so Ben and Jerry's, especially at that time, I mean, it was just, it was going crazy. Like they were doing stuff that you would be like, what? And so I'm really, really uh, admired how they've gotten back lately, I think, to their original yeah, core values and uh, sense essence, which mm -hmm. is like, I think the original essence statement was something like joy for the belly and the soul. And the soul was this the idea of, um, you know, they were really, really interested and curious and passionate about social issues. Yeah. You know, and they were talking about things in the mid eighties that nobody was talking about. And yeah. um, so I just, and Vermont is a really radical, beautiful state. Like it, it's a home of mavericks. Yeah. That's a great, that's actually a much better word than radicals. Yeah. It's really, it's isolated. And so because of that, it's very entrepreneurial, but it's very community oriented. Yeah. Um, I mean, even in 1988, Jesse Jackson was part of the Rainbow Coalition, and he won the presidential caucus. Now, mm. Vermont at the time probably was one of the whitest states in the U.S., mm. and yet here they are uh, electing a black man to yeah. be the uh, candidate for the Democratic Party. Yeah. And so, yes, and, and they say your environment dictates kind of you know what how you flourish and thrive. And so if you're in that environment of just disruption and possibility and, and creativity, then, then that's going to flourish. But then you, you kind of, you go off on this dream job at 
Ekine, I think it's called, or Ikin, I don't know how to pronounce this, Nike backwards, like one of this dream job where your job is literally to be the essence of the brand on, on the spot and sensing everything and you're getting to meet people. And um, and you stayed 16 years, is that what you said at Nike? Yes, yes. I always love how you folks in Europe call it Nike versus Nike. And oh, is it like, Nike? Is that, is that? No, no, it's actually awesome. Like you always know where someone's from when they call it Nike or Nike. And, yeah. um, and then, well, and then, the traditional response I get from my UK friends is, well, you don't call bike, bikey, you call it bike. <laughs> That's such a good point. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but one of the things that I thought that was really interesting and when I, when I heard interviews talk about this is, you know, you had a phenomenal time. Um, you say this in your video, you say, you know, while other people were making teas and sneakers, we were bottling inspiration. I think that's such a, like a powerful statement and, and, and almost like we're just operating on a different lane, like a different level. We're just not worried about that. But you said, I think I heard you say, you know, for all the controversy that happened in Nike, that was one of the reasons why you kind of thought, okay, maybe it's time to shift. But you also mentioned that didn't you, that is you had this 16 year, like you could see where you were going. It's easy to look now and connect the dots back and look at your journey and say like, that was the right decision, but it must've felt tough then. Like it must've felt maybe a little bit uncertain or crazy that you were ditching this perfect kind of on the outside job. Yeah. It it's interesting. I mean, at the time, the whole thing was nobody leaves Nike. I mean, it, it was a revered place to be. Um, I felt like for me, it was great beginning with the Eakin job, that first job and all the way forward. I just felt like I went on this amazing learning journey. Yeah. And I learned from both all the great things, uh, but also hardship. You know, I think I allude to the labor crisis as one of those things. But um my wife and I did this exercise called imagine a day and um, you sit down and you know, you're too, you exercise is your two feet hit the ground. You're really excited about the day. What does a day look like? And you're not talking about what your job title is mm. that you have or, but you say, this is what a day I want a day to look like and feel like. Yeah. And you do it uh, in, in our exercise, we did it together. So it wasn't a career thing. It was a life thing. Mm. And what I recognized then that, for me was I want, I was super intrigued on this idea of social responsibility, corporate responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to be a part of something that was, had a little bit more um, Vermont in it, you know, that maverick. <laughs> um, and I wanted to be a part of something that was uh, involved in sustainability. And so I just, I didn't know the answer, but I was mm-hmm. like, I'm in this field where it's just, it's all the things that I'm curious about, but that are motivating and inspiring to me. Mm. And so we did that. And I got this offer to go to seventh generation. And so when I made that leap, a lot of my friends were like, you're an absolute idiot. And um, because you're going to go from Nike to a company that's $50 million, 50 people selling laundry detergent. Mm. And even the, an exec that Nike had said at the time, you've just committed career suicide. And I was like, I've never been more sure of a decision in my life. I didn't know what to expect. But it felt right. It just felt so right. And when I got seven generation, man, that's why I, that's why I always say, I learned about the role of soul in business. And, mm. uh, and for those people who don't know, at the time, it was, it was actually voted best company on the planet. And it was just, we were pioneering 
interesting, green, healthy environmental products. But what we really were doing was we were reimagining what uh, corporate responsibility was, was could be. Mm, okay, because I've worked with a client uh, called Method and eCover. Don't know if you've heard about yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they, they yeah. like they're amazing. Like the culture and internal and that kind of. It was such an honor to kind of get to spend some time with them. Yeah. Um, but that's it. So that's that kind of the American version of eCover, I guess, in some way, or just doing. It something. is actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, in fact, actually, the Method guys started their business right when I was at Seven Generation. Um, Adam and I forget the other founder, but they were they were brilliant in what they were doing. And EcoVer uh, was obviously, I think, actually EcoVer bought Method, right? Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but for us, and this goes back to like in, at Nike, you know, you have to. I have this principle: widen the lens. You have yeah. to understand what business you're in. And so like Ben and Jerry's wouldn't say they're in the ice cream business. They're in the business of like this, uh, I think social, uh, social justice, social equity. Yeah. And the ice cream is a vehicle or platform to be able to communicate that story. And at yes. Nike, we were bottling inspiration. At seventh generation for us, it was, hey, we need to create the best environmental products we can. Mm. It ended up selling to Unilever actually yeah. a number of years ago. Um, but it was really about we want to reimagine corporate responsibility. I mean, we and I, I so fell in love with the idea of transparency and honesty as a company. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing. Like I remember, we would make a. Uh, I think there was one time there was a third party had done an audit on one of our products, and there was a substrate material that wasn't uh, wasn't shouldn't have been there. And uh, I remember Jeffrey, our CEO, our founder, is like, "Well, let's tell everybody." You know, and my first thing, I was like, whoa, <laughs> is that what we do? Is that what we do here? And it was like, yes, that's what we do. And yeah. so, in fact, my first ever big meeting at Seven Generation was we partnered with Greenpeace, which mm. no, no for-profit in the U.S. had ever partnered with Greenpeace. And we, mm. I'm sitting in the meeting with the Greenpeace team. I'm like, this is unbelievable, man. Like, I love this. This is crazy. Yeah. There's, there's a, so I've got a quote from uh, a friend of mine who's on your Bob Fire Soul who talked about, and I might be misquoting this, so, so please apologize, but um, that you had a, you went to meet Yvonne Schwinar, the founder of Patagonia, and you had a lunch. Yeah. I don't know if it was lunch with him or something like that, but apparently you had yeah. lunch. And, uh, and he told you something on the lines of, the problem with you guys is that you, like, I don't know if you said, you know, you fuck the world up or you, you screw the world up. You're like, I don't understand. And it's like, yeah, you're so focused on something. And, but something about, is it start inside or start within? It, it begins inside. Yeah. It begins <laughs> inside. You basically call me an idiot, which I was like, yeah, I get it. Uh, <laughs> um, the, actually, the irony is Patagonia is just down the street from where I live. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. So I've come kind of full circle and a yeah. lot of our friends here in Ohio are Patagonia folks, but yeah, I had lunch with them. It was great. I was at Seven Generation. I flew out from Vermont to California. I was doing business. And um, I, was, I had a lo- really the fortune of just having a one-on-one. And he said, basically, like, he, he, man, you got it all wrong. Like, you're spending all your time on focusing on the outside world. And he said, the number one audience you need to make sure is alive and well, and there's vitality is your inside uh, mm. culture. Mm. And then, you know, and then you can look at that place. I mean, they had daycare in the 80s. Their boardroom is not a boardroom of seats, mm. surfboards. I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, they've done all these really interesting things. And it's not perfect, mind you, but no. I just, when he shared that with me, I was like, that became like for me, um, just the core 
yeah. telling how I wanted to live, which is to recognize, yes, yeah. there, we need to make sure that there's an attraction and a relevance to the outside world. But it, when you do it inside, mm. I mean, you probably even notice it in your work. Like when you go to places, you can almost tell like how they're doing by the, the, the energy that you yeah. experience or feel when you walk in a bil- in the, into their headquarters or office, if mm. you will. I used, to, I used to say a joke to some of my clients to say, I actually judge a company's culture by visiting three places. Um, I visit the kitchen, the, the boardroom, and the bathroom. And, and those three places will tell me more about how people treat each other than any writing on the wall or any fancy brochures that they'll give me. Um, and, I, you know, and, and this is kind of what I'm really excited to talk to you about. I, I want to give people a little bit of background on your, on your journey so they understand. But I'm fascinated to pick your brain and heart around this idea of, you know, how do we um, change the way that companies are leading effectively and 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 operating less from a place of how do we maximize profit and um, and utilize our resources to how do we become the best place for people to come and show up? Uh, you, yeah, I love how you call it about you know being your effortless self. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we start with them? Because on the outside, like when when you look at your resume, it's kind of you know your brand's specialists, I guess. I mean, you, you know, you, then after that, you went to Lululemon and I love anyone I really checked going again, I'll put the resources where you talked about your experience at Lululemon, reviving a brand. I think you said it was like on, is it Forbes or someone said that the brands who won't exist next year? And like, Wall Street. Wall Street. yeah, Wall Street, fall, fall of 2014, it was listed as they listed 10 brands that won't exist in 2015. And number one was Lululemon. And so when I went there, my friends were like, once again, you're a complete idiot. And I'm like, no, yeah, it feels I really right. Wanna, I want to know this mindfulness space. So. Yeah. And and on that, like, you know, the, the, the campaigns that you guys did were amazing. And one of them that you came up with was, you know, the world doesn't need to do yoga. It needs to be yoga. How did you come up with that? Like, I'm just curious because, you know, when I've heard you talk about it, it feels effortless, but it's like, that is like, it's a powerful, it's a powerful kind of statement and, and it, it captures something that we can resonate with. How did you, how did you come up with that? Well, it starts with, and this is where Nike, I just feel once again, like I felt, I feel blessed. I went to this place that was such a a, a fertile learning ground for me. And so for me, the the key question any company needs to ask is, what does the world need most that you're most uniquely qualified to deliver? Yes, I'm going to pick your brain on that. I so want to hear more about that because I've got it on a post-it. The first time I heard you talk about it, I've got to hear what does the world need most that I am most uniquely qualified to offer? And it's been kind of occupying my brain ever since. So I'd I'd love for you to distill that and unpack that for people listening or watching. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people um, tend to play small. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but I think they hold the opportunity of how they view the the, the landscape is in a very myopic manner. And so I have this principle, widen the lens, like you have to widen the aperture. So for Nike, it wasn't, Hey, we're going to make sneakers and tees. Mm. It was what, what does the world need? Most was like, we need to bring inspiration and innovation to the world. Like mm. we need to inspire people around fitness and these other things. And so that led to just do it. Um, and at Lululemon, I mean, I will say it can be hard to figure out, the simple, yeah, the bottom, narrative. like the bottom line, like the little, the, the gist of, yeah, yeah. Because I think a lot of times we can wax poetic with many, many sentences, and then you're like, well, what are we about? And like, I can't remember. We are the hope of future that comes. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but um, 
at that moment, I was fortunate. It's sometimes like you can't see the forest through the trees. So I had, I reached out to Mira Kadura, who is an absolute force. She's created an agency called Red & Co. in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. She was former creative director at Widen & Kennedy, which is a luminary agency. And uh, mm-hmm. she was the she was the creative force behind the girl effect, which is arguably when I think, I think one of Nike's most amazing bodies of work. Mm-hmm. And so we'd spend a lot of time together and um, where they got to and helped us was like, okay, what does the world need? We were like, got to take yoga off the mat. Like <clears throat> my fear was that we were bastardizing a 5,000 year old spiritual technology by just showing people on a map when really there's eight limbs to yoga and we were mm. showing one asana. Mm. So we realized what the world, and this was the, the way they framed it was it doesn't need to do yoga. It needs to be yoga. So what is being yoga? Being yoga shows up every day in our lives. So what does that look like? Mm. And so we did a campaign called this is yoga and there was nothing on a map. And it was, and people must have thought you were crazy, right? Like people oh, yeah. I mean, who've been there for years was like, oh, wait a second, dude, you're going to tell me that you're going to do a campaign about Lululemon and we're going to not going to see a single person do yoga. There's been a problem. Yeah, trust me, there was some people inside Lululemon and everyone were like, I don't get it, man. We're trying to like drive sales here. And I'm like, I know, I know. Like it's, <laughs> and it was a leap of faith. I think that project probably was the one you know, I remember telling my team, like, are you right before the launch? You worried? I'm like, yeah, I got some fears in it because we vet invested a lot and it's a bold move, but it just, once again, it feels so right. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I think rather than do another ad with someone on the yoga mat or whatever, it was like, no, we need to honor the idea of yoga. And did you get your team? Cause coming back with it starts with, and I forgot what you said that the, the, it begins inside. Yeah. Begins inside. Thank you. Um, did, did were you like, keen to get your team first like on board and pumped about this and like this is what we're about and we get this before you got into the world and kind of share this this message yeah i mean (laughs) i always say the hardest part about that campaign wasn't launching it it was getting through the internal gauntlet and uh lululemon to its credit has a really vibrant culture Mm. and it's decentralized and meaning you know each market or whatever has the ability to uh self-organize and do what they think is right. And so here we are trying to suggest a different path that and for many people made people, you know, it was uncomfortable. Mm. And so a lot of it was sitting down with all the different functions, mm. um, you know, and just saying, listen, this is what we're, we're doing. And I th- the nice thing is people were, uh, I think, more than open to mm. new possibility. And so it worked. I think the biggest thing in that, though, was, you know, we partnered with Vice Media to bring mm. it. This was when Vice was, you know, um, I think really. At the top of the, yeah, they were top of the game. game. Yeah, I remember um, that. It, it was like weird bedroom fellows, you know, it was like, wait a minute, this gritty youth media thing in Brooklyn, New York is going to connect with this like yoga brand in Vancouver, Canada. And what we agreed to up front was, hey, let's not even talk about a brief. Let's spend uh, basically a month together. Hmm. And so they spent two weeks in Vancouver. Then we went to Brooklyn. And I have to say like that, it's a little bit of slow down to hurry up. It was, that was yeah. the magic of that was that we understood the essence of each other and they understood 
where we were coming from. And then they were the ones who came up with the idea of this is yoga. And they're like, this is what we're doing. Yeah. In fact, it scared me when they first told me the idea. I was like, I can't do that. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I trusted them. And I yeah. think that trust came from us spending the four weeks True. together. So in terms of even it begins inside, I think that's just an example of, I just think we sometimes make things very mechanical. We do give a brief, we get creative, and then we go outside and show the world. And my thing was, I wanted us to understand the essence for each other. I wanted us to see each other, respect yeah. each other, trust one another. And that trust was for me, <clears throat> I remember the night before to make the call on This Is Yoga, one of the guys from Vice says, hey, uh, Stacy, who is the head of strategy, thinks you're making a mistake by going this other direction because they presented two options. Hmm. And um, I said, hmm, that's interesting. Let me think on it next morning. I was like, I trust Stacy. You know, I th she knows better than I do. So let's do it. And um, that's how it worked. Wow. I love that. And then, and then I think I heard you talk. Did you get fired from Lululemon or did, did you get, there was something like a transition out of it or was it time for you to move on? There was kind of an ending to it that I've heard you talk about. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, it, it was, it was a graceful exit in that, um, well, one, it was the traditional CMOs last three years, like, which is probably right. I was there for almost three and a half, four years. Yeah. And it was time, truthfully, you know, like I love, my thing is figuring out, well, let me say it in a, uh, uh, to me, like the hardest part of creating a fire is starting the spark. And so I love the challenge of trying to build the renaissance of Lululemon, you know, mm. in this really tough time. And for me, that was the fun part. So reframing the positioning of it, making sure the culture was alive and vibrant. You know, we had launched in Asia and the team there was just amazing. And, um, you know, I think the, the, the CEO we met and he's like, Hey, I think, what do you think over the next couple of months, we just transition you out. And I was like, that feels right. You know, yeah. I think I had reached my. The purpose that you were there for, like you needed, you had a mission and, and you kind of reached that and, and everyone kind of, it's like, it's almost like the, if you played a video game and you could choose the different characters for the mission, like the quest, you know, the wizard, the, yeah, it's like we need a duke to come in and, and spark some magic and get, get the brand back and be relevant. Cause that feels like a big theme for you. Like, how do we, how do we feel relevant internally? And then how do we let the world know that we matter, that the work that we do matters? Yeah, but I think, so I guess a couple of things. One is um, I'm always grateful for my Lululemon time. Like it yeah. was uh, super helpful, but it was time. And I was also commuting every week from uh, basically LA to Vancouver. So to be back home mm -hmm. was, uh, was just really nice. Um, and it was the right time. I think for me, uh, what you just said, though, um, I, it's part of Bonfire. So I don't think we focus on the right questions around business. So as an example, mm. I could sit in a meeting at Lululemon and the head of sales would always be, um, what are you doing to drive traffic? And <laughs> I think I would piss her off. But um, I was like, my team and I don't wake up every morning asking ourselves, what are we going to do to drive traffic? We ask ourselves, what are we doing to ensure <clears throat> that we are relevant and resonate in the lives of the people outside and they're clear on what we stand for. Mm. That was what, <clears throat> excuse me, that's where our energy was. And I've, so I feel like sometimes we ask the wrong questions mm. or we focus on the wrong, we love to focus on numbers. And I'm like, 
I mean, even this is yoga, like the head of sales and the CFO are like, well, what's the revenue going to be? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. And at Nike, we did a lot of that. We said it wasn't what the metric wasn't how much revenue. It's like, what's the emotion you want to create? Mm. I love that. You know, I was like, but that must be, so this is the thing that, you know, that cause, cause what I'm getting on this is just from <coughs> interacting with you from these kind of interfaces of watching videos and listening to audio. But I wonder, especially, and I've heard you call yourself as, as an introvert or on, on, on somewhere on the lines of, you know, being introvert, you're in the C-suite executives and people are driven by bottom line and ROI. And, and here you are, like, you talk a lot about philosophy. Anybody who kind of engages and interacts with your content will figure out very quickly that you you love philosophy and you'll you'll you know. Um, I think I heard you once say something like "Beware of the man who knows" or something like that, which is one of my. Yeah, I've written it down. Like it's, I think it's a really powerful thing because I can I can catch myself in that. Yeah. Um, but but why like um, this? And I don't know what the question is. This is a question that might be emerging as I speak, right? But there's something about how did you reconciliate those worlds of you trying to come and bring in like. It's about being relevant. It's about listening. It's about empathy. It's about connecting. And they're like, well, great, Duke, but what's the bottom line? Like, how much is this going to bring back? And, you know, that, that kind of daily almost conversation. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, obviously, it was, it was much easier back in the day at Nike because that was the way the culture was uh, built and driven around. And um, I think in subsequent um, parts of my journey, it was, I always felt in many ways like, um, a lot of my work, I felt like I'm a salmon. I swim upstream and I mm. spawn, you know, I fight the current and then yeah. you spawn and then, you know, maybe you die and to go elsewhere or whatever. But I, I feel so strongly about how to build something because it's been proven. I look out there in the world and I see Patagonia's and, mm. you know, Ben and Jerry's now and other brands or, you know, Hyatt Denim in, in Wales. And like, there's a way yes. to operate that goes against the grain yeah there's a little bag there stay away to the back i actually i uh, i heard you talk a lot about do lectures and i read a bunch of david's book and a few stuff like that but i actually went and bought a pair of jeans after listening talk about them then i went on their website looked at their documentaries on youtube and i was like man i love it and you talk about this emotionally charged brands i was like I feel connected to this and I want to help. I bought a pair for my brother for Christmas. I was like, I'm not going to get you anything else, but this, this keep this for life and all this stuff. So anyway, yes. Oh no. Yeah. Just me. It's uh, we all have a tour love affair with Hyatt, uh, <laughs> David and Claire. But I think for me, I think there's an art form to building an amazing um, culture and brand and business that's being swallowed by, this predictive outcome intoxication and um, we're losing the soul of things. And so, yes, I'm an introvert. It's exhausting at the end of the day. Sometimes for me, I go home and I I just went solitude. I need to recharge whatever or, um, but I feel all that's worth fighting for. And, you know, for me, yeah, I mean, I've been in a lot of C-suites where people look at me, even this is yoga. I was in an exec offsite with Lululemon team, the C-suite team. And we were, they were, I was getting challenged on this is yoga. And I said, Hey, if it doesn't work, I'll leave. This was, you know, I just was like, that's how strongly I feel. And yeah. I don't, 
I just think business can be done really beautifully. And when I say beautifully, like I have just a lot of empathy and love for people within a company, not just yeah. the outside world. Yeah. And, you know, I want to see, I know for a fact when people have great cultures, more often than not, they have great businesses. And so mm. I see that changing, unfortunately, for the world. In fact, the stats show that actually, the, the data points show that the engagement and loyalty that people have for companies is like way, way down. And so I just, once again, I, I think it's, it's okay to break this, the rules that bind. And yeah. um, as an introvert, as much as it's hard for me, I think also an introvert, by the way, what I love is you just listen quite a bit. So I would write, beware of the man who knows quite a bit of my notebook because I was like, no one's asking questions. Everyone's making statements. And it yeah. was like, I, I just was reminding myself to always live in inquiry. Yeah. I love that. So I know we're running out of time. So I want to be mindful and, uh, the next chapter in your career is you went to Lyme and you, you, know, you fell in love with the idea of mobility uh, to, to revolutionize and change communities. And, and that, that didn't work out in the end for, for various reasons, but bonfire of soul, you know, I really want to spend at least a few minutes on that. Um, that was something I'm going to guess that you wanted to birth into the world must've taken a little while. It's out. How did the first round go? Because have you done one or two cohorts? I, I We've done one cohort. We did it uh, this past fall. We'll do three more in 2021. Okay. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, during one part of, part of my career, I opted out of the world of branding and I taught at, uh, at graduate schools. And um, my parents were high, high school teachers uh, growing in my early years growing up. And I, I just love teaching. I was like, this job pays shit and it's <laughs> it was the most rewarding thing i've ever done because yeah. i think in that model you're mentoring and you're being mentored and um i've heard you was that before well, after you coached a soccer team for you a football team for me did i make that up did you No, that was that was later it was right after i left seventh generation i okay. created my own company and the world went upside down with the financial crisis and then people reached out to me like hey do you want to teach and i'm like well, there's nothing else going on, so sure. <laughs> and I don't know how to teach, but sure, I'll jump in. And so in January, when I did the Imagine a Day exercise of last year, even when I was at Lyme, I was like, I want to teach. I was just like, so here I am in the belly of a Silicon Valley company. And uh, it just reinforced like there's I've, something I've, to change. I have a unfettered set of beliefs that are uh, run counter to how we operate. And so I was like, I'm going to teach. And I was going to go to graduate school. And then I was like, I was talking to some people. And I'm like, I feels like I have to play by all those rules. And I don't want to do that, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And then I talked to David and Hyatt. And he's like, hey, we're doing this online, online course thing. Like, what do you want to do? And COVID was a blessing, right? Because mm. I don't think I would ever thought of doing an online course. And then we were like, all right, let's do it. And so the whole premise was um, – I jokingly say I want to take, you know, obsolete Harvard Business School. Um, you know, one of my amazing mentors in life is Buckminster Fuller said, if you want to change existing reality, obsolete what currently exists. So mm. Bonfire was sold for me is about, was about or is about just creating a new school of thought around business. Mm. And um, it's based on 12 principles that I've curated uh, with friends and um, my own experiences. And it's interesting. I think as I was reading the reviews on the course, it, um, it was actually really quite favorable and people were saying a lot of things, but there was a couple that were like pretty negative. And 
I think if people want solutions or tactics, it's not the course. Yeah. It's really, I'm trying to pr- provoke people to yeah. think differently and then make it their own. And um, Well, it's what you said. You don't believe in creating magic. You believe in creating the container for magic to happen. Correct. You know, I, think, I think that feels like a, a good... And So what was it for you? What was it like for you? Like, I'm, just, I'm curious about what was the experience like? Were you, were you surprised? Like, was it, I don't want to say bigger than you expected because it kind of puts a, a quantifiable metric of measurement of well, success, but was there, were you, were you pleasantly surprised by, by the, the kind of the impact that it's had? Yeah. Well, first of all, I was scared shitless throughout the entire, <laughs> um, cause you know, I, I'm putting myself out there in yeah. a way that I've never done before. I've done it inside companies obviously, but not like this. I didn't know how it would, would go. We, it's funny, I partnered with the do lecture team and even on numbers, we're like, I don't know, there'll be four people, my mom, my sister, my wife, and maybe a friend. Um, um, but it was received well. Like, you know, we had over 500 participants from oh, around wow. the world in 31 countries. That's and, really uh, good. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, the ratings, I mean, I don't, actually enough, like, I mean, it was, everything went really was yeah. favorable. It was encouraging. And I think what I love most is seeing people, the spark in people, yeah. whether you're an entrepreneur or in a company to be like, Oh, right. There's this permission slip to think differently. Like yes. and me at the bonfire with soul is kind of a gentle push yeah. for people to be like, okay, just yeah. take that first step. And um, so as much as it scared me, I also thought of my parents, if only. And so if I hadn't done it, I think I would have been like, what, why did I not do this? Like, yeah. do you think, so. So, do you think Bonfire of Soul is your answer to the question? What does the world need most that I am most uniquely qualified to offer? How would I answer that? No, no. Do you think it is? Do you think Bonfire of Soul is the answer to that question for you at that, at that moment, at least when you launched it? Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to, yeah. I think what the world needed was an, is a new school of thought. Yeah. You know, I literally think we're taught the wrong thing. So competent, like even the idea of competition, I think that's such an archaic thought. Sure. And yet what happens is you get into companies and everyone becomes like inebriated with competition and then it creates tension and that creates desperation. Yeah. And at Nike, we seldom, if ever, we were always attuned to what was going on. We never talked about the competition no. because we knew we were going to play a different game. We were going to bottle inspiration and bring innovation and everyone else was going to make sneakers and tees. Yeah. And so it was... It was just, so it's those things for me. And I, I think when I think about why cultures are floundering, I'm like, well, if every day you're asking people to focus on it, I mean, how many people truly wake up and go to a company because they're, in, they're fascinated with driving revenue <laughs> versus if you focus on the things, the conditions that can ultimately drive revenue, yeah. that's different. And I feel like we're just taught bullshit. Honestly, I feel like we're top bullshit. And we yeah. then, you know, we, it, to me, business right now is like a kid's football or soccer game. The ball goes in the corner and every, the whole field, everyone on the pitch goes running towards the ball. And like, yeah. that's how business is done. And yet there's these outliers yeah. that have proven that there's a different way of doing business that I find romantic and alluring. Ah, but I'm, I'm with you. I'm like a hundred percent with you. And, and um, I'm just curious to hear, cause Cause do you do a bit of work in companies? Do you do also do a bit of that, a bit of consulting, a bit of teaching companies, or do you do primarily kind of to, to cut like B to C, I guess, through, through the do lectures and, and the teaching? I've been doing, it's funny, even after a bonfire was sold, some people have asked if I would do a corporate program for their entire company. And um, 
you know, still kind of deciding what to do. Yeah. I love working with individuals. I love working with companies. I mean, I've been, even when I take board seats, I don't do it. I've never taken a board seat that pays. And so once again, I think my friends are like, that's not right. But I love, if I'm passionate about what they're doing, yeah. then I'll go in and I would, I love to support that. Like, 21C hotels, which uh, ultimately sold to a core hotel. That was fun as heck for me. But that level of work for, for all of us to think differently about this mm-hmm. hotel chain, um, this boutique hotel, was I love that. Because the, the, one of the reasons why I was asking this question, I think there's a selfish kind of reason behind it, is that I went off in a couple of years on this mission of kind of, I want to uh, eradicate career misery in the workplace. That was kind of my... My cool. mission, I, I, I don't know if you know the Movember Foundation, but I used to be country manager. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I saw your background. I love that, by the oh, way. Awesome. Yeah. Movember, by the way, is an amazing yeah. example of. Yeah. I've got, I was going to show you, but I can't really turn my camera, but I've got on my shelf next to me that it's like my shelf of inspiration. So I've got different brands like uh, Hyatt. I've got, you know, something from Hyatt there. I've got different things. And I've got my, my, my memorabilia of Movember, like one of the trophies and stuff that one. But the reason why I was, I was, I was kind of naming that is. Um, throughout my, throughout my history of working in companies, and I've, I've been privileged to work for what you would probably consider people who are pretty like leaders in the field, whatever, like my first job that I worked at INSEAD, it's a business school and I'm at INSEAD. And, uh, these are people who get so much reputation paid to go and teach people how to do things efficiently. And I'm inside, I'm going, something's not right. Like, like how can we be teaching all this manager management, leadership, all this stuff. And yet inside we're not really walking the talk. Right. And then I joined kind of November and, and look at, I think you'll probably be able to witness this. Doesn't matter how purpose driven the organization is, where there's human, there's pain and there's friction and there's issues. And that's just how we are. So there's no perfect place. So I also internally realized that there was a few things like, I think this, this is interesting. Like, and so I went off on this quest to kind of go off and try and transform like a, a much gooster, like a bit like you, like I kind of left thinking that's it. I'm going to change the way that people show up. You know, there was a stat, 87% of employees feel emotionally disengaged from their workplace. And I thought that's mental. Like, how can you go to work every day thinking that this is great? Anyway, so I start doing this and, and here's the thing, dude. Um, and, I, and I'm ashamed of saying this and I, and I am, I think I got disheartened. Like I was falling against this kind of, yeah, but no, like uh, this is a true story, right? I, I would call up and, I, and I'd have the conversation, like usually CEOs or HR directors, that kind of stuff. And I'd say, you know, what are you currently doing for your people? And and I would tell them, look, I, I have this belief that um, you'll only do best as your company when your people feel their best. And and if they have to check themselves out when they walk into the door, you're never going to get the best version, like all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. We've got that covered. I'm like, okay, cool. Like maybe they've got some other, you know, program. And they're like, oh, we have a wellness day once a year that, you know, we yeah. We get them to get do yoga and eat some fruit bowls. And and I'm like, this is insane. And I just kept on, and my spirit got crushed, I think. I think it was like this. I was hearing things. Oh, no, we don't need to come and do this because people are going to start com- opening up about their problems and we just don't have time for that. You know? And and so I I guess there's it's a confession that I I, I went with that mission. I, I kind of fell against this one. I thought, well, maybe it's just too much of a beast. And I yeah. guess what I'm secretly hoping is what are some words of inspiration Duke, that you have for people like me who are trying to go off on this thing, meet resistance, felt a little bit disheartened to going, maybe I'm just too much of a naive, optimistic misfit and, and the world's just not ready for this yet. Well, one, I, I would encourage a lot more uh, misfits and circus freaks to join the, the world <laughs> because I think it would be a better place. But um, 
You know, what you, what you share, Mark, is no different than truthfully myself. I think for a lot of other people, there's moments where you can be disheartened by the whole journey. I mean, I have a daily mantra, which is fearless, humble, and conviction. I need to be fearless because in those moments where the cynicism and judgment wants to beat me down, I'm like, no, I got to be fearless. I want to be humble in the endeavor. I really want to approach things with a sense of humility. Mm-hmm. And then the conviction piece is a big piece, which is I, my sense is you believe in something pretty powerfully. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like the conviction piece for me is like, you know, anything great is hard. <laughs> Mm. So like to go after something, you know, you want to be an amazing and certain trade. It's like, you just don't show up and that that's work. There's the hard journey and, and there's pain involved. You know, and I think that's the other thing that people, the, I learned that through a great yogi at Lululemon, which is, you know, contentment comes when there's joy, which is great, but also when, the, when you get, when you recognize the pain. And so I don't try to pretend it doesn't exist. I'm like, okay, it's there. And so the other thing for me then is how can I swim downstream? So who can I partner with or what are like true colors is this brewery that I'm an advisory board on that is reimagining business. And um, it's, it's fueling me. It's a source of nutrition to be like, yeah, there's still these like amazing glimmers of of light and hope out there that are like still going for it. Still swimming for the fences. Yeah, fighting like hell. And so I think for me, and I imagine the same for you, is like, I don't know if like giving up is an option, you know? And I think like, um, because to your point, and I, I read that same survey, I can't imagine almost nine, nine out of 10 people going to work and not feeling engaged. Like that to me would be, you're just existing and you don't feel alive. Yeah. So it's a worthy endeavor, I think, to... Um, to challenge the acceptance of the status quo because yeah. truly it is not working. And you could, mm. I'm not a big data jump, uh, junkie, but man, when there's certain data out there, it's like hard not to be like, that is stunning. Yeah. And I remember I used to go on, you know, when I go on stage with companies, I say, the reason why I'm doing this is I want to help shape companies where my daughter and my son could go and work and I would know they'd be taken care of even if I was gone and no longer here. You know, that was kind of why I, love I was that. doing it. Yeah. But I look, at, we're, coming, we're coming towards the end. And I, I just want to, uh, for those actually the little trivia is Duke's not your birth name. Is that right? Like I, I heard that somewhere that you. My picked- real name is Scott, but I changed it when I was like, I think nine years old. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. There's, yeah, there's another Scott in the classroom. I heard you say, is that, is that, is was, that? I'll make it quick. There were several Scots in the class yeah. and the teacher said, pick a nickname for the school year. Cause this is too crazy. And um, <laughs> I went home and I watched the show that most people have never heard of called Gilligan's Island. And it was yeah. a bunch of people who had been just um, deserted on an Island. And one day I had a surfer guy washed ashore named Duke. And so I was like, I'm going with Duke. <laughs> I love that. So Luke, before I ask you, well, you know, one of my final questions, um, heartfelt acknowledgement. I just want to say thank you for showing up because I was at a moment where I don't want to say like I lost hope, but I was kind of feeling like banging my head against this wall. I'm trying to see this world in a certain way. The world's telling me that you're insane and crazy and significant for thinking that. And then I come across your video where it's kind of like you articulated so beautifully and the branding and the design and the storytelling and the narrative and the experience and just the the energy and the spirit that you came from of a place of service and just, it's not about me. It's not about look how amazing and beautiful I am, but rather like 
hey, I've got this crazy idea. Like, do you want to join me? Because mm-hmm. I think we could do some cool stuff, you know, together. So I just want to say thank you for that because I know that it sparked something in me. It sparked something in 500 people minus the two, three people who like, hey, it wasn't as technical as expected to be. But thank you. And please continue. That That's kind of, you know, the bottom line of of um, of that long gist. I appreciate the, the kind words, Mark. And by the way, you, you answered your own question on what the world needs most when you said you want to eliminate misery from um, uh, the corporate world or the business yeah. world. I mean, that's a hefty, beautiful endeavor. Um, <laughs> no, it really is actually, because there is misery. And I yeah. think it's not about trying to make companies better, but like, how could you actually eliminate that? That's a, that yeah. was just, we I do when you sh- when you shared that. Thank you. Like, you know, we're doing our bit. So final question is, um, what does being unconventional mean to you? Mm. I think it means being true to self. Mm. Honestly, I think when you're unconventional, you're probably doing something because it feels so right, which also, I mean, probably connects to the fact that it's, it's, there's a, a, a trueness and an authenticity in this, in this effortless self element around it. Yeah. Ah, love that. Love that so much. Uh, do you, where can people find out more about you if they want to connect with you online or if they want to find out about the next cohort of Bonfire of Soul kicking off in 2021? Where's the best place to uh, to go and hang out? So uh, bonfirewithsoul.com is uh, in the midst of being um, updated to incorporate yeah. the next class, which will start in March. Um, and then I'm a total hack on social. Um um, I go by a Swedish name on Twitter, Skrata, S-K-R-A-T-T-A. That means to laugh. And then I'm on Instagram under Duke Stump. But okay. um, yeah, so it's... Perfect. I'll put it all in the yeah. show notes. Duke, I appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much for coming to the show. And it's been a, a genuine pleasure and honor. Mark, it's been wonderful. I appreciate you, uh, the invite. Thank you so much. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did. I really appreciate Duke having spent some time on this episode and really appreciate our conversation we had after the show, actually. Um, and yeah, just incredible human. And, and he re- rekindled the fire inside of me that believes that there is a different way to do business. There's a different way that we can show up at work, that we we can be trying to create a places where we genuinely want to show up every day and where I'd be proud for my kids to go and work. I mean, that's the kind of world that I want to help shape. So I really appreciate for that That kind of fire being reignited but let me know what was one of the biggest takeaways you got from today's conversation did anything we talked about resonated with you or spark something please let me know in the comments below and of course if you enjoyed it please subscribe leave it a thumbs up and leave a rating and review it makes a big difference wherever that is whether that's youtube spotify or uh or apple Podcasts, right uh, again thank you so much for the honor and the privilege to have been Uh, selected as the winner of the best interview podcast at the Podcasting for Business Awards 2021. Feels crazy to say that, but that's it. The Unconventions is now an award-winning podcast, and I believe it is a life-changing podcast. I truly believe that with all my being over the last five years, so many powerful conversations. If you're new here, make sure to go back and check out the catalog. We've got over 140 plus guests, inspiring conversations who've shared their life story and their life's work. And it matters, right? And you matter. Your story matters. And as promised, gang, I wanted to share with you an exclusive snippet out of Sarah's Night, new podcast, No Fucks Given. Not giving a fuck 
applies to literally everything you do. It applies to getting rid of stuff that you don't want to do, but then it also applies to pursuing the things and the people and the relationships and the goals that you do want to do. So it is going to help you clear the decks. It's going to help you mentally declutter, but it's also going to help you organize everything that you have left. Again, we're talking work, friendships, parenting, finances. I have a lot to say about that, actually. Uh, Your love life, you name it. We are going to declutter the shit out of it and then send you on your way to living your best life. Do yourself a favor. Check out No Fucks Given with Sarah Knight and start living your best life. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sarah, I hope your show has an amazing success and that you keep on impacting people's lives. And I can't wait for the next step. I know what those next steps are going to be like when you pull the trigger of them. And I can't wait. The world will thank you for them. Remember to be true, be brave, be kind. And I can't wait to hang out with you in the next episode of the Unconventions Podcast. I'll see you there.